All right, boss, you're Shall in the driver's go? seat today. You're right, driving the bus. In three, two, one. It's the last week of the NHL regular season. Playoff races are getting sorted out. We're going down to the wire for the Vesna and Jennings trophies. And uh, here at Ingold this week, we've got a newly signed pro and Olympian as our guest and a radical change to some gear. Welcome to the Ingold Radio Podcast presented by the Hockey Shop Source for Sports and thehockeyshop.com, episode 167. I'm David Hutchison and I'm here with the one and only Kevin Woodley. Unfortunately, our leader, Darren Millard, is still taking a uh, bit of a cautious return to action after a nasty bike crash. So Woody, we're really happy to see Darren back on the air, looking like a hockey player who barely missed a shift while out getting stitches. Uh, But we got the ball this week. Isn't it great to see uh, Darren back at the mic? Well, we were talking about uh, end of the season awards, um, and we'll get into Jennings and Vesna and all that stuff again a little bit as we get down to the, the final few games of the season. But I know it's just for hockey players, but I would definitely nominate Darren for the Masterton for um, per- perseverance and dedication to the game of hockey. Um, the fact he is back on TV doing his work with the Vegas Golden Knights uh, after such a traumatic injury and and uh, bad crash and and you know brain injury is remarkable. Um, but it's sort of taken a lot out of him just to be there. And so we're giving him a, a few more weeks off here so that he can continue to heal and recover. But really, um, just impressive stuff. Again, we, we'll let him share all the details when he gets back. But just know that what he's done to battle back to be on the air is really uh, remarkable and should be applauded, frankly. I, don't, I know we don't get to put a write-in vote to give him the Masterton, but uh, that's just how dedicated and committed he is. He didn't want to miss any time as Vegas fights uh, and claws to get into this playoff race, get into the playoff picture in the Western Conference. He wanted to be a part of it. So kudos to him, and we hope to have him back here within... Yeah, two, we're giving him as much time as he needs, but if it's a couple weeks, so be it. Um, we miss him. We wish him the best, and we can't wait to have him back. boy, Darren. Uh, speedy recovery. We'll keep the chair warm for you. Uh, hey, listen, everybody, can you do me a favor? If you're listening to this, you know, on your favorite podcast app, wherever it might be, could you just open it up, head over there and hit the rating for us and leave some sort of a comment? It, we'd really appreciate it. It helps the show get out in front of other people. Or better yet, maybe you could send a text or a snap with a link to the program to somebody you know, another goalie, goalie coach, goalie parent. Can you send a link and a snap, Woody? I don't know. I don't snap. Uh, I am uh, unfamiliar with the Snapchat rules and regulations. I would have to ask my daughters, neither of whom are here, but we will get back to you on that. There you go. There you go. So our feature guest this week, presented by Sensorina VR, is Strauss Mann. Uh, recently signed his first pro contract with the San Jose Shark and adds to our list of 2022 Olympians who joined us on the podcast. And uh, Woody's also going to make a trip to see Cam at the hockey shop, where they do a deep dive on the new Warrior G6, which features something that's, well pretty radical and something I would be willing to bet more than a few listeners have wondered to themselves, what if I could? But we'll save the uh, details until a little bit later, won't we, Woody? Yes, we will. I was curious to see where we were going because we actually recorded three different sets of new gear. We're all ready to go with all the new gear coming in, and I wasn't sure which one we were running this week. So I hope I got a little right. tease. Surprise, Cam. Here's a little tease for you, folks. Um, new gear is coming in at the hockey shop. Uh, pretty much like on a weekly basis. I don't know if you were if you happen to follow their Instagram page at, at THS Goal. 
Um, you would know that they have eFlex 5 CCM sticks in. I know that's a hot commodity that um, you know didn't launch as scheduled last year, is going to launch with a couple different options this summer, but they've got some in now. So I think the key here is with all this new gear coming in, we're going to have to sort of space out our reviews and our overviews with Cam. So make sure you're over at thehockeyshop.com following them on all their social media channels, like I said, at THS Goal on both Instagram and on Twitter to get an idea of what the latest and greatest is coming in. I don't know that we'll be able with a once-a-week show. I'm not sure we're going to be able to keep up with all the new stuff that they have coming in. And so the best way to stay on top of making sure you don't miss out on new arrivals or sometimes special limited edition like the Bauer Pro Return series, both the gear and a reminder, there are Bauer Pro Return sticks there still available. Um, Make sure you keep an eye on the social channels to stay on top of all the latest and greatest offerings and sales at the hockey shop and the hockey shop.com. Hey, before we get to that gear segment, Woody, the NHL regular season is ending. I think it's Friday this week. Where are we on the Vesna race? Is anything sort of stabilizing itself? Is some anything changing? What's uh, what do the fancy stats tell us? The fancy stats brought to you by ClearSight Analytics and our good friend Stephen Valaket, who is gonna you're gonna hear a lot about in this episode because he's got a relationship with Strauss Man. Who and I like just I know you already teased the feature interview, but folks, uh, you may not not everyone may recognize the name Strauss Man, despite the fact he had two standout seasons at the University of Michigan, despite the fact he beat Canada at the Olympics with. Uh, the United States in Beijing recently, and the fact he signed that new contract. But trust me, you're going to want to listen to this interview. It is just loaded with great, great insights. But back to the guys. Speaking of great, the guys at the top of the league, it's become a one-horse race, Hutch. Igor Shesterkin right now is, he's back to pulling away with it. 38 goals saved above expected, courtesy of ClearSight Analytics. UC Saros, who had temporarily caught Igor at around 33 last week, uh, he's dropped all the way down to 27. And Thatcher Demko was in the number three spot last week at around 26 goals saved above expected. Couple rough starts. Uh, the Canucks got touched up on the road in Minnesota and Calgary last night. And he's dropped all the way to six. So our top four in terms of goals saved above expected right now is Igor Shesterkin, who I think is a slam dunk for the Vesna at this point. UC Saros in second. Ilya Sorokin in third is interesting because there's a non-playoff team, much like the conversation we had about Demko last week. And kudos to Hutch, who picked Ilya Sorokin for his Vesna winner this season. Um, Vili Huso's in fourth. Then Jacob Markstrom in fifth. And, and like I said, Demko in sixth. Vasilevsky seventh. Kemper eighth. Freddie Anderson ninth. And Tristan Jari ten, rounding out your top ten. Hey, at 11th, worth noting, not in the Vesna conversation, how about Anton Forsberg? Closing in on a top 10 spot and goals saved above expected. A guy who was claimed off waivers by Ottawa and now has signed an extension with them. Um, a lot of people were yelling last season about why Kenny Holland hadn't done anything with the Oilers in goal. Why, where was their guy to sort of fill in when Mike Smith was hurt and Mikko Koskinen was struggling? Again, I'm talking about last season. Yeah, he had him. Anton Forsberg. Let's not forget, Anton Forsberg was Edmonton Oilers property last season. Um, and a good pickup by them. I remember talking to goalie coach Dusty Schwartz about that decision-making process. And the problem was they had him and they just put him on waivers to in order to keep nine defensemen and it cost them. And here we are two years later and this guy's uh, doing a hell of a job for the Ottawa Senators. So I'm not sure, Hutch. It's really interesting. 
I think Shesterkin wins. Saros is definitely on the finalist ballot. And in terms of who's number three to join him, my hunch is it will be Markstrom. Uh, but there are arguments to be made amongst a handful of guys to at least be a part of that finalist ballot. And another thing, like, let me ask you this one. We watched, you know, in terms of workload, UC Saros is far and away the busiest goalie in the league. I guess the only guys that are close to him are Thatcher Demko and Connor Hellebuck. So as we watched Demko a little bit recently, um, UC Saros a little bit recently. In both cases, they played back-to-back games and performances afterwards struggled a little bit. As we watched them stub their, not so much maybe stub their toes the wrong term, but we watched them have more sort of uncharacteristically not great nights. We take a look at Igor Shesterkin, who was almost being disqualified for the heart because he wasn't getting enough starts. And now he's got shutouts in like two of his last three starts. Is there an argument to be made that it's the workload that may be slowing down some of these top-end goaltenders down the stretch as they sort of run out of gas? And Igor Shesterkin, after being handled a little bit with kid's glove in terms of his starts throughout the year, is now ready to take off and playing some of his best hockey after a brief dip in March. It's you know, I don't know that you can make any conclusive statements, but it makes for a fascinating argument, especially as we continue to, to move away from, you know, workhorse overwork goaltenders in the league. No, but absolutely. I think the workload is incredibly important and only in a slightly related way. We know in past years, the Vesna has sort of felt like a, a career award where people are recognizing the performance of a goaltender over years, even though it really technically only applies to a single season. I think part of that is just recognizing consistency over time and how incredibly important that can be for an organization. So, you know, is there a greater value in having somebody who can uh, play more games at a high level? I think there is. I just don't really know how you define it. I think uh, the best we can probably do is say there needs to be some sort of minimum, you know, obviously not defined, but in, in the eyes of a voter before before you really qualify. And hey, Kudos to a team that manages it well, like the Rangers, who've worked on that workload. You know, some teams, some coaches uh, just overplay guys. And, and I guess that's part of the game, too, isn't it? So I think it's, uh, it's important to recognize that. The other one, Woody, uh, the other trophy maybe we don't talk quite as much about, the Jennings Trophy. I don't know how many of our listeners realize this. Heck, are you even old enough to know this, Woody? The criteria for the Jennings Trophy, fewest goals allowed by a team in a season, that used to be the criteria for the Vesna Trophy before the NHL G- GMs um, voted on it. So if you're looking back in time at all those Vesna Vesna winners, you know they would technically these days be be Jennings Trophy winners. And I think it's getting kind of interesting because you mentioned Igor Shesterkin and the workload, and and his Rangers are currently tied as we record this on on Sunday at 194 goals allowed with Carolina. Carolina's played one more game though. So what do you think? Uh, Carolina's to lose will be fascinating, Hutch, to see what kind of decisions each of these three teams make that are in the hunt. The Flames are only two off that pace as well, but what did they do the other night? They gave Dan Vladar the start and backed him up with Dustin Wolf. Gave Jacob Markstrom a complete night off, obviously prioritizing rest with the playoffs ahead. Um, like you mentioned, uh, both the Rangers and the Flames have an extra game left to play compared to the Hurricanes. The one difference for the Hurricanes they don't have the number one goaltender. Freddie Anderson's still out with an unidentified and right. what we assume is a lower body injury, look like possibly a left knee, still no timeline on that. So they're going to be trying to win this with Auntie Ranta and Peter Cut, Cut, 
damn it. Poor Woody always gets stuck with the names. Kochetkov. 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 I need to have it in front of me. For some reason, I can only say it, and I don't even know if I say it right when I'm reading it. So, uh, And congratulations to Peter, who I got to watch at the World Juniors here in Vancouver uh, as he took over the Russian net from highly touted prospect Daniel Tarasov that year. I was surprised. I thought it was Tarasov's net for sure. Uh, Kochetkov took it over and was exceptional. Uh, really love his game. Could be interesting to see if, if Auntie Ranta stumbles or we know health has been an issue for him over the years. We could see for a team that was considered you know, a cup contender, we could potentially see a first-year North American pro and only recently come over to play in North America, Peter Kochetkov as the number one goaltender or at least an option, sorry, for the Carolina Hurricanes going into the playoffs. But congratulations to him on his first NHL win. Let's see how that uh, Jennings Trophy race works out down the stretch, final few games here. Yeah, hey, that means that he's pulled ahead of you and I in the, in the race. He's got one more win than we do in the NHL, so uh, congratulations. We still got time to catch him, I think. Yeah, maybe if there's, there's, there's still hope for guys in their 50s to get, a, get an NHL debut or closing on 50 in my case. Uh, note, a note on Kochetkov's debut. Wearing a Miklin, Russian-made Miklin glove. Uh, we That's see right. that brand in the KHL. Um, as many of you noted on our Instagram post, as I noted on my Instagram post, he arrived in Carolina after being called up from Chicago, and in his first couple of practice was wearing a true glove. He wears true pads, true blocker, but in the American League, he's been wearing this Micklin Russian-made glove. And I put a post out that it was interesting he was wearing his... I will I will eat this because I definitely mil- misspelt Micklin. I had it Milken. Um screwed up the post there. But also, I reached out to see if that was eligible for the NHL, and I was told no, because it had not been approved. The company had never submitted gear for approval, and that particular piece of equipment had not made its way through the NHL offices. So people are kind of all over us because he wore it in his debut, although the the label was covered up because they don't have licensing fees. Clearly, and the equipment trainer there in Carolina is one of the best, Jorg Alves. Um, who does have an appearance in the National Hockey League ahead of you and me in a uh, e-bug role. And on the Ingle Radio podcast. Yeah, he's uh, he is awesome. Like I said, one of the best. So clearly he noted and, and was aware that there might be an issue there. My guess is, and I haven't got a return text yet, but my guess is, despite the fact that, like I said, at the beginning of the week, I had to confirm that was not supposed to be an eligible glove for the NHL. Uh, my guess is that they took care of making sure that... Uh, it got approved before he wore it out on the ice. Hey, let's just let's just clarify for everybody because I think you've sort of mentioned it in here, Woody. But there's a difference between approved to wear it in the league versus approved to have your logo on the gear. Yeah, this I wasn't. That I mean you can wear stuff that isn't sort of part of the marketing and licensing because you have to pay equipment companies pay to have the logo on their equipment. They pay a licensing fee to have the logo of their equipment, and it's it's a sort of per piece fee to have that on display in the NHL. So if you don't pay the fee, you can just cover up the logo and still wear it. But that said, the equipment still needs to be approved by Kay Whitmore. And like I said, this this particular brand had never submitted equipment for approval. So there's not like he'd approve the line or approve particular aspects of the line. And my understanding is this particular glove hadn't either. And so whether it's whether they hopped on a 
a Zoom call and showed that the measurements were all within specs or whether they shipped that thing FedEx right up to K real quick and got it back and turned around. Because like I said, in practice, he was wearing a true. Uh, I will get to the bottom of that and report back next week. Um, but obviously, like it's not like... Like the post we put out was right. It wasn't approved, but that doesn't mean it wasn't approved by the time he wore it, I think four days later after we made that post. So um, at the end of the day, not trying to you know muddy any waters, congratulations to Peter on winning his NHL debut. It's a hell of an accomplishment. Uh, and and it, I think I can segue this into our gear segment, Hutch. Oh, can you now? I can, because you remember that piece of equipment that you teased on this... Warrior G6, something new. That, and again, this could change too, but that is also not approved for the NHL. So interestingly enough, this is a this is a new addition to the Warrior G6 pad that might just make you too fast for the National Hockey League. Hasn't been approved yet. We'll see if that changes. Matter of fact, a lot of people made note when Colin Delia wore Warrior equipment, Warrior gloves during the summer last year. Uh, my understanding is, again, there at the time, and this too may have changed, but at the time uh, when Warrior submitted the equipment for approval from the NHL, the pads actually weren't approved because, you know, that wedge that they have on the knee stack, which helps stabilize it, when they measured the knee landing gear from the back of the pad, they measured it from the back face of the pad rather than from the edge of the wedge. And that made it too long, even though it was legal from the front face of the pad to the edge of the knee stack. The thinness, the degree of the thinness of of how thin that thigh rise is mm-hmm. and not counting the wedge just made that second measurement too big. So I'm not sure if they were able to work that out, if there'll be an option in the NHL. But I knew, do know this new feature that we're about to tease as we sit down with Cam at the hockey shop so far is not approved in the National Hockey League. Let's check in with Cam for more details on the rest of the new Warrior G6 line. Welcome back to the Hockey Shop Source for Sports. We're down here in Goalie Utopia. It is that time of year, Cam. We get to play with new stuff. You've seen the G6 customizer online probably heard all about their new plastic slide plate option on the inner edge of the pad. There are a lot of other features. There's a 580 glove brake cam. Ish. Ish. See, that's why we come to you, because I know you're a big warrior guy, so we want to get the answers on the new G6 line. We come to Cam here at the Hockey Shop or thehockeyshop.com. Cam, walk me through the biggest changes. Let's start. Obviously, I think this one jumps. I, everybody, out. everybody wants to start with the knee. Everyone, the most questions. Warriors need slide plate. So yes, it is a piece of plastic. Yes, it is removable. No, it doesn't break off of shots. They have tested that. Why this is a big deal and why this feels so? You've seen people chasing that. You know what pad slides the best? Overall technology, whether it be three M clear tape, people have been trying to put on. Bowers technology in terms of their the way their pad slides, speed skin, primo material from Brian's. Everyone's got their own kind of a tagline. So Warrior hasn't gone away from their air slide, yeah. which still exists on the uh, lower calf. However, this knee 
So this is something that I've actually got to try, and this will fit on some of Warrior's older generation pads too as well. So a G5, for example. Hold on, is that available? Is it, is it going to be this available is a replaceable, as an accessory? This is a replaceable part that is going to be available. So they, uh, you can retrofit an old pad with this? Technically speaking, yes, as long as it fits. There are some that it doesn't. Call me and double check, obviously. Something that is held on by Velcro, this whole piece comes right off. Like I said, this is a hard piece of plastic. It's not, it's not gonna break on you. But in terms of for friction and sliding, you can imagine that. You put a piece of plastic on ice at any time. She's gonna be a little slick. Exactly, exactly. I've seen it myself. I've seen a young uh, child who's never skated before as a goalie be able to start running circles and push across the entire blue line back and forth with very, very little trouble. That's something we don't really see too often around down here. So in terms of a bit of a game changer, I would highly, highly say so. Some control required. It is, for lack of a better term, quite slippery. <laughs> so you do gotta hold your edges a little bit better um, and be able to stop in that mid overdrive, be able to cut back and push. It's gonna take some getting used to is what you're saying. That's correct, exactly. And it might not be for everyone, which is why it's removable. My understanding as off. of right now, is it won't be for anyone in the National Hockey League. I don't believe they're going to approve the use of this slide plate in the NHL, but minds get changed. Things, uh, things could turn between now and then. For now, though, there's no limits on playing with it anywhere else. So okay. kind of a cool feature, but that's not all that's new. No, there's, there's quite a bit more. This pad has taken a bit of a departure um, from like there's similarities, but there is actually quite a few differences from that in the G5. Uh, let's talk about stiffness profile right off the bat. Now, this, I mean, we're both putting some weight on this. This is a, a bit of a departure from Warrior in terms of their core and structure. Very, very stiff. Now, in terms of for longevity aspect-wise and also overall durability of the pad itself, this is quite an advancement. Pete has really taken the core of this pad and stiffened it back up. Hypercomp returns, which is adding a lot of this rigidity to the pad. It's going to help to aid in that rebound, and it's also going to help to aid in that longevity of the pad. This guy isn't going to break down like previous Warrior pads, especially in the upper thigh portion. Five different options in terms of your core flex at custom. Something we can definitely go over. Give me a call, 604-589-8299 or 1-800-567-7790. Oh, hold on. So what you're saying is stock, super stiff, but you've got the ability to customize something with a little more flex, a little more Believe it or not, there's even a stiffer option than this. Come on. Yeah, I mean, I, hey, some of the, especially the Euro guys, that's where that request came from. Quite interesting. Coverage edge still um, makes its return too as well. If you look down straight at the pad, the pad's kind of angled. Um, when you're down to the butterfly, that does help to get pucks back, forward back out in front of you, as well as their whole concept, once again, is having that little bit of extra puff out helps to prevent that skipping up. Again, something a little bit different than we see from Warrior versus some of the other companies. Still a softer boot, and you need to have that softer boot, especially with how stiff of a pad it is. Moving on to the back and the leg channel, whereas again, we've seen some updates and some changes. Warriors puffed out the shin versus the G5 model and previous models. This gives more connectivity to the pad. This is also going to help aid in rebounds as we're losing that dead air in between your shin and the actual pad. So the more tight and connected that is, the better rebound quality of the pad is you don't have that pad push in and then want to rebound back out. So this is this is a pretty open leg channel. Correct. And yet the idea is to maintain a little more connection between the front of the shin, down around the ankle, and the back of the pad. Exactly. Exactly. Even with 
a leg channel that's pretty loose and open and it's going to rotate. It's open, however, you can get it quite tight because Warriors also added an additional slot, something that you saw come out in their G5, to be able to really tighten up that leg channel as well. So you get some really customizable options just even on the stock pad. They've also added their own version of a rotation strap. Velcro, it goes on easy, can also be removed easy by just a simple plastic clip as well. One last really notable feature for the pad, the addition of an actual laced-in tow bridge. Some that you've saw a little bit on G5 Custom, especially with the Euro guys. Now it's available stock off the wall. You want to throw on the laces, get rid of the bungee tow tie at the front. Totally up to you. You have that option. Yeah, and I think probably a good option, not, you know, not to take away from some of the innovation behind because they were one of the first to add that. But we've seen, we've talked about it at Ingle. Uh, going into an RVH with skate laces on, you need a little bit of that gap to get the bottom of the pad sealed and the skate inside. So sometimes with the elastic, that can be a little tougher to do and, and get that seal every time. And also, as you push off the post, the elastic gives and costs you some of your push. All right, so that's the pad. That's the new G6 pad. Stock, I noticed that, uh, and I said something Warriors done in the past, stock is instead of plus one or plus two, it's plus one and a half. Yes, so that, that sizing nice, remains consistent. Nice, nice little gap. Now tell me about the blocker and the glove. So, two separate blockers, two separate catchers. We call them gloves. Catchers. Gloves. Catchers. What do they do? Catch pucks. Unlike Not you. Not when you're wearing them. I use the same joke. You can't use the same joke twice. Okay, 6.0. So, blocker-wise, we're having the similar G5 shape and profile. They're still using the coverage plus, which is that thicker blocker board. Again, helping to effectively cut off that angle because of that thicker blocker board forward. Um, straighter, flatter blocker board. Again, not too much of a departure from the G5. If you're familiar with that and like the blocker, you're going to be comfortable with the 6.0. Overall, the finger protection has been redone a little bit. Our Warriors actually flattened it out a little bit more, less segmented, but however, it still covers the hand very, very well. They've also added a large index finger pad. Keep that finger protected. Puck's riding up the stick. Still removable palms as well for the 6.0. 6.1. I was going to talk about the glove first. Oh, so they come in sets? Yeah, sorry, catcher. So two different gloves as well. So continuing with the 6.0 series, based off of, again, that G5 catcher, basically what we're looking for here is a more wide open style catch. Again, someone familiar with that G6 model is still going to feel comfortable on this one. Fundamentally, not too, too much has changed. They've actually cut off some of the surface area of the palm and put it back into the pocket of the glove, so a bit of a deeper catch surface. You still have the removable palms. Stock is 75. You still have your 60 and your 90 degree palm, which again is just changing your hand position on the break angle because this break angle doesn't change. It's just where your hand is positioned on. You can take them out, wash them. That's a great feature as well. Custom, you can actually order with a thicker palm too as well. So that's something new that we haven't seen from Warrior. So the chance to get some practice palms in there as well. Switching it over. 6.1. Okay. You can have the blocker first. So in comparison, much more of a banana shape to the blocker itself. More reminiscent of the GT2 series of their blocker. Overall feel-wise, stock. Not a removable palm. That's important. You can do that um, when you order custom if you do want it to be a removable palm. But stock off the wall will be laced in. Overall feel-wise, a little bit more center balanced. Again, guys that are looking for not necessarily that flat forward, just kind of sitting there style of a blocker. A little bit more, again, banana shape, a little bit more technical control, especially when you're blocking and, and moving to it. 
Um, so a little bit more required that way. Similar index finger protection and overall armadillo protection for the fingers. So not changing that way. Again, someone looking for a bit of a steeper blocker board angle, as well as something that you do have to control a little bit more, less of a blocky blocker and more of a... I'm, I'm lacking a good term for this one. Blocky blocker, I like that one. Uh, we'll, go, we'll keep <laughs> blocky blocker. Blocky blocker. This is the blockiest blocker that ever blocked. There you go, tongue twister for today. Something really cool though. Now we're going to talk about the 6.1 glove. So it's not a 580. However, in terms of how it closes on the hand and how it presents in a stance, very reminiscent of. So this catching surface is now designed to be longer as opposed to wider versus the 6.0 glove. So as you look at it, we get more of that straight up and down uh, presentation, which is, again, really reminiscent of that uh, CCM 580. In terms of reclosure on the hand and feel-wise, um, I would say it's not too, too far off. It's not that exact same. We don't exactly get that full-on duckbill over, but it's, it's very close. So someone that is using a 580 is comfortable with it, and theory should be comfortable with this style of a glove. Stock off the wall, this palm will be sewn in. However, you do get the opportunity of when you order custom, you can't get removable palms. You can also, again, change that hand position on that break angle itself with their 60, 75, and 90 degree palm additional options. Again, a nice additional extra feature from Warrior, keeping up with their, you know, two options for gloves. Anything else? That's a pretty extensive overview, Cam. That was. Got, got it all out. But you can talk about it some more with me here at the Hockey Shop, 604-589-8299 or 1-800-567-7790. Or check us out at thehockeyshop.com. Not much to add other than clearly this man knows his stuff when it comes to the Warrior line. So if you've got any questions about the new G6 and whether it fits your game or you want a custom option, make sure you give him a shout. Thanks, Ken. Blockiest blocker that ever blocked. So what do you think, Woody? Could you play with the slide plates? I'm thinking I would struggle, but I would love to try them. I absolutely want to try them. I mean. Um, I remember every goalie that we had test the Bowers first iteration of the original Odin line, um, that original sort of Supreme with the new skin and the new, uh, hard inner edge. Every goalie that tested was like, man, like I'm over sliding. Like they had to make adjustments at the end of the day. As long as you still feel stable over it, the faster you can make those adjustments. If I'm going to be faster going left to right, and I still feel stable and in control, it just means I have to push less or you just adjust. But anything that makes you faster, I mean, maybe, maybe this is the threshold. Maybe that hard polycarbonate slash plastic right on the ice is just too slippery. That's possible. I've heard that that's been some of the feedback even from pros that have, have tried it overseas. Some guys, you know, have looked at it and, and are willing to give it a go. Other guys are like, that's just, just too fast. Um, but man, is there such a thing as too fast if you can find a way to control it? At the end of the day, I'd really like to find out. And I think there's going to be a lot of goalies that feel the same. And the beauty is if you're somebody who's already in a warrior product and like the way the line uh, has evolved, and we've always been big Pete Smith fans. I know we don't review their equipment. There's a massive unpaid bill issue that we run into here at Ingle with warrior. Um, we're a small company. They're owned by new balance and they left us hanging on a big ticket. So that's why we don't review their equipment, but doesn't mean we're not fans of Pete Smith. We love innovation here. At Ingle, we're all about innovation, and this is a product line that's got a lot of innovation. So uh, maybe maybe we uh, find water under that bridge one of these days and get back out on the ice in it and bring you a full, detailed, true Ingle magazine breakdown on it. But for now, based on what Cam teased us with, 
just just color me very curious. Yeah, I wonder if we're going to see some of the smaller aftermarket companies that are looking for the latest uh, little gadget to create for goaltenders might make some slide plates now that will work on other pads. I personally, I, I love what you were saying. I think these are going to really accentuate skill. Like either they're going to make you faster because you've got the skill to control that. Uh, if you don't have the skill, I think you might be in a little bit of trouble. I was thinking to the video that was circulating by the Canucks this week of Ian Clark mic'd up with Thatcher Demko. And he was doing those little tiny knee shuffles to adjust his positioning. I thought, how do you do those with the slide plates? Like, there's going to have to be some adjustment. Don't know if you could do it. I, well, I do think that, like, as much as the principal point of contact is the knee, you know, there still is, like, the pad's still flush on the eye, right? There's still calf, calf resting on sort of, you know, whether it's whether there's sort of padding on the inner leg or not, and whether that's allowed in the NHL or not is a is another story for another day because we've we've seen some get slipped in despite it being not in the rules. Um, at the end of the day, there's going to be some pressure on the rest of the inside edge of the pad. So, and that's why I'd love to get out and try it. So, is that enough to offset it in those situations where you don't feel like it's just going to slip apart? And, you know, if you don't have an incredible amount of strength through the groins to sort of keep it together, again, I think it's going it, to, it, it's a matter of whether you can control it. And you're right, that, that takes some skill. It might even take some strength, but I'm dying to try it. I'll be honest, I'm dying to try it and see. Uh, nothing, nothing like that feeling of making a quick push to the back door and having somebody who think they got an open net slam that thing against your pads. It might be the best feeling in the world as a goalie. At least it's one that I like. Um, and if that helps me get there faster to close that, that time and space count me in for for a trial absolutely look it's all speculation for us right now isn't it and if anybody else wants to speculate for themselves and you've listened to this segment but you haven't actually seen the slide plates head over to youtube uh we we put the gear segments on youtube every week we also link them underneath the podcast over at ingolmag.com and you can see these slide plates for yourselves. Get a close-up feeling and, and decide, are they something maybe you can use? And hey, when you're over at YouTube, how about you do me a favor? Let's, let's everybody listening, it would be really cool. Check out the new slide plates. Check out all the other great new features in the G6 pads and leave us a comment below the YouTube video and just let us know. What do you think? Do you want to use them? Do you want to see them on your favorite brand of gear? And I think we should, and Cam already talked about this in the review itself, as much as the focus is going to be on those slide plates, they For are sure. removable. And there are a number of other new features on this pad. Uh, the option of a standard, you know, sort of toe tie, as opposed to uh, uh, Warrior's unique system with the elastics that, that go through the skates. Um, there's also the new gloves. I mean, some some new options in the two different glove and blocker models. Just, you know, again, a continued evolution of a product that, I think Warrior is is one of the ones that have done a lot of innovating. Like we said, fans of Pete Smith just, you know, there's a reason we don't do a lot of reviews and <clears throat> pay your bills and all that stuff. But, you know, fans of the designer and fans of the people behind it. And so really curious to see where this goes for them. I, I love innovation and this is another bold step. There you go. Woody's going to head over to YouTube after we post the video and he will leave a comment there talking about his favorite feature from the new line. And then you can follow up underneath Woody and and let them know what you think and whether you want to try those slide plates or something else, maybe the new stiff profile, whatever it is, uh, see what you like. Okay, this week and every week, Sensorina VR presents the feature interview. This week, it's going to be our friend Strauss Mann, in-goal listener Strauss Mann will be joining us. And uh, 
Sensorita, as everybody knows by now, if you've been a, a good listener of the Ingoal Radio podcast, is a virtual reality training system for goaltenders as well as players. It's available for the Oculus Quest VR headset, and you can use it as is with the uh, you know with the hand controllers for the Quest or with these attachments. They call them sleeves that mount the hand controllers to your gloves. Simply put, for me, Sensorina is the best off-ice training tool for goaltenders. Uh, for taking shots, for reading shots, for following and understanding plays, working your hands. Woody, it's so realistic, I find myself getting lost in the game. I'll be batting virtual pucks out of the air with my stick. It's absolutely incredible. You've had a few problems with it, though, I think. It's so realistic. Oh, I have one little problem. Word of caution. Word of caution. Like, if you're going to try this at home, folks... Well, A, I mean, the, the always map out your area because it is so realistic that I did almost break my hand and knock coffee all over my computers the first time I put it on trying Mr. to make a blocker impatient. save. Don't be impatient. Set it up properly, folks. But the other one, and I experienced this recently because I was heading into playoffs and I had not had a chance to play for several weeks. Some of my other skates uh, had been canceled and so I was feeling super rusty. So I threw it on, but I didn't... Like, I have the attachments on gloves but I have them on a 60-degree brake glove, and I'm playing in a 590 model. And Okay, here we go. Here we go. Wait, wait, wait. I could just hear it. So I, that puck got passed because no, I was no warming goal, up no in goal, the wrong no glove. No, no goals went in, but early in warm-ups, <laughs> I literally had pucks that were like hitting different parts of the glove and as opposed to in the pocket. Like I think it's, I think it's realistic enough. because. Truth is, like a 600 break, we talked about this, remember we did the Mike Vaughn overview with yeah. the, the Vaughn gloves, how if you're missing pucks here, this glove puts more of the pocket in that area. Like literally, there's about a three or four inch difference in sort of where that pocket will sit, depending on some of these breaks. And I had the Oculus attached and maybe a little too far out towards the end of the glove on, on the 60 degree break and was using that. And I go into a real game and I'm reaching at pucks and it's hitting a different, like it's, it's not like they were going in, but they weren't going in the pocket. I was just missing them. And it took me a little bit to make that adjustment. So uh, make sure you use the same brake model glove. Not not everybody has a bunch of different models lying around their house to strap it to, first of all. but uh, And I will say, one nothing shutout in the first round of the playoffs for us. So there were other parts that uh, definitely paid off for I sure. I actually had that in my roundup before you segued away from it into the gear segment. We like to talk about a few things that happen around hockey, and I was going to surprise Woody with a congratulations for his first one nothing. I call that like the goaltender's perfect game when you can win win a game one nothing, And uh, to do that in the playoffs, Woody, and yes, he warmed up with the wrong break glove, but Sensorina helped Woody get a one nothing win in the playoffs. Congratulations, Sensorina. You know who else Sensorina helps? Strauss Mann. Uh, didn't realize it while we were doing this interview. This is a... Uh... You know, to tease it and set it up a little bit, this is this is one of the goalies that I love. And you're going to love this interview, folks, because Strauss is a no-stone-unturned guy. And some of those stones that he's turned get a little extreme, and he admits that. He goes, he takes it to the nth degree on a couple of items. Um, but we love goalies that are always looking for ways to get better. And I should have asked him during the interview if he'd ever tried Sensorina. Of course he has. They had it with his team, Haleftio, in Sweden this year, and he really enjoyed it. And he's actually in the process of trying to get set up to get a set of his own now that he's back in North America. So add Strauss Mann to the name, the list of names of pro goaltenders at the highest end of, of the sport that are using this virtual reality training tool to get better, not just in terms of seeing pucks and stopping pucks, 
but all the brain training exercises that you can do on Sensorina, vision training exercise, all those extra elements that you can do. Um, count him in on all of that. Count me in on all of that. Uh, can't wait to bring you this interview with both of us going through all the other ways that Straussman has found to get better at his craft over the past number of years leading up to signing with the San Jose Sharks just last week. Really excited to welcome to the Ingoal Radio podcast for the first time, hopefully the first time of many, Strauss Mann recently signed with the San Jose Sharks, and there is a whole bunch in in your background, your time at Michigan that I want to get into, your path to Michigan, um, the decision to go to Sweden. You're coming off uh, your first pro season, and you spent it overseas. There's there's a ton here, but let's start with right now um, signing with the San Jose Sharks after spending the year overseas in Sweden. Where's the mindset right now? How happy are you, especially having gone through the process last year and you know, you tell me what were there not offers at this point last season coming out of Michigan? Were you looking to stay in North America? Just where's the mindset right now? How excited are you to join the Sharks? And walk me through the past year a little bit. Yeah, first of all, uh, thanks so much for having me on. I'm I'm a huge fan of this podcast. I've gotten really into it lately, actually. Um, so it's great to be on, and uh, hopefully, I can share some some good stories and uh, messages along the way, but. Yeah, so it's been a little bit of a whirlwind getting back from from Sweden recently and um, signing the contract that that being announced and um, it's just been a pretty overwhelming experience. I think uh, whenever you have big highs, I think everyone can attest that the coolest part is the people you share with and uh, just having people from my past and present reaching out. It's it's pretty humbling and uh, especially those who. Uh, know me for a while, know me since I was young and know how hard it was for me to get here. And uh, there wasn't an easy path. I know a lot of drafted guys uh, signing maybe is just kind of expected, but for me, it wasn't that. Um, and so just being able to to share that with a lot of people is pretty special. But yeah, last year um, around this time, uh, I didn't have the the offers I, I necessarily wanted. Um, for me, I know it was a little bit of a size thing and also just the year, there weren't a lot of contracts being handed out. So uh, I had some AHL offers and everything, but uh, I, I had this this offer in Sweden, which kind of came out of nowhere. So I ended up taking that thinking the AHL and the SHL are probably pretty similar leagues. And um, if, if you sign an AHL deal, it seems these days you're usually going to end up in the coast. So it, it, was, it, it seemed like a good opportunity to go somewhere else and, and prove that I I could do it at a different level. So uh, that's the the unique path I took. Okay. So now you're going to have to help me with the pronounce, pronunciation of where you signed it. Is it Haleftia? How do they say I, I I've spent a little bit of time in Sweden. I've been up to Northern Sweden to mm-hmm. Onskoldvik, which I will learn quickly. Just call it Ovik. So you help me with, is it Haleftia or am I getting that right? Am I even close? Yeah. I mean, I've heard it pronounced a couple different ways. So at this point, I don't think you can go wrong, but. I think it's uh, Haleftio, if I'm if I'm correct. It's I've been there for a year, so hopefully I am correct. But yeah, it's a it's a little bit complicated. I still can't understand much Swedish at this point. Okay, so what was that like? Because um, and and that decision, um, you know, we've we've heard a lot about Swedish goaltending, Swedish goaltending coaches, the system they've set up over there. We've had guys like Thomas Magnuson from the Swedish Federation on the podcast before. Um, you go from Michigan to playing in Sweden as from a goalie specific mindset, 
And I know you're a guy who's all about growth mindsets. How was the coaching different? How was the game different? How big an adjustment was that? Yeah, it was, uh, it was a big adjustment. Uh, I was definitely looking forward to that, though. I, I think uh, it was a pretty valuable experience for me to go to a different culture as a person and then also as a player. The game's so different. It's, it's so pass-first there where North America is, is so, so much shot-first. Um, and obviously, that's, that's changing in different ways uh, thanks to my, my friend Steve Valacat. But um, yeah, it was just a, it was a big adjustment with the bigger ice and you could see it from from day one. I mean, going into a pro team, you you'd assume it would be uh, what you're always told, like you're you're just um, property of them. It's kind of that big adjustment, but it's definitely a little bit different in Sweden. They they really take care of the guys and um, yeah, really care about development. And obviously, I was fortunate to go to a really good team and an organization that emphasizes that. I know not every organization is like that, but could definitely feel uh, a good vibe in the locker room. And it, it felt like a good uh, in-between college and pro for me, if, if that makes any sense. Just taking that next step, but maybe not being thrown right into to the mess of uh, North American pro. The, the ruthlessness at times of North American pro. Yeah, exactly, which is what it is. But um, I think for some people, sometimes that adjustment can be, can be tough. Was that part of the mindset and and the decision to leave Michigan? I mean, they're a they're they were a wagon this year, powerhouse. What was the was it just time for you to try something different? What was the thought process behind that? Because you're coming off, you know, the last two years at Michigan, both nine thirty plus save percentages. You're you're the captain, first captain in seventy eight years uh, at at the University of Michigan. That choice that now was time to turn pro, and amidst the pandemic and all the things that come with that, what what led to that decision, and what let you know it was time to take this step? Um, yeah, I mean, a lot went into that decision. It wasn't taken lightly. Um, I just felt like I was ready to take that next step, and I think as an undersized goalie, uh, I, I had two good years at Michigan, and obviously couldn't get the deal I wanted. So uh, I didn't necessarily know if a third was going to do that for me. Um, and obviously now sitting here, it seems like a good decision. Who knows if, if I'm not signed, but um, it really just showed like if you go to a different league, uh, maybe you get rid of some of those question marks from, from scouts and GMs. Uh, I, I thought, I mean, obviously when I decided to go pro, I didn't necessarily know I'd go to Sweden, but I knew that if I stayed at Michigan, maybe um, there would always be those those question marks, and, and then I'd be leaving as a 23 year old. And I don't know if that's the the place I wanted to be at. So um, yeah, I, I ended up taking a little bit of a risk there, and uh, I feel pretty good about it at this point. Now I feel like I buried the lead here a little bit too, because along that path in uh, in Sweden, there was a little interruption to the season, a little thing we call the Winter Olympics in Beijing. What? What did that opportunity mean to you to get an, to to wear Team USA colors, to be a part of that program, to be on the biggest stage in sports in the world and representing your country at the Winter Olympics? Yeah, it was uh, probably the most special experience in my life to this point. It's pretty impossible to put into words. Um, and I kept saying, in some ways, it was it didn't mean anything because it was just another hockey tournament and you're just going to play a game you love. And I'm sure a lot of goalies and pros can understand that feeling, 
And, and to that point, it, it was a lot of players I had played with in the past. It was players I was playing with currently in the SHL. So it didn't feel like, okay, this is way above my skill level. Like I felt, felt confident in my ability to go there and play well. But then there's the other side, which your, your inner child comes out and you're like, holy, shit, the Olympics, like, this is crazy. And I think that's kind of more of what my family and friends were feeling. And I was trying not to let myself go too down that, that uh, path because I wanted to go in confident. But uh, just being there um, with, with all those athletes in, in the village was just crazy. It kind of felt like a college dorm at times. And then every now and then you'd look around in the cafeteria or whatnot and just be like, oh my gosh, like every one of these people is the best in the world at their craft. And, and I'm, I'm one of them right now. Like it was just, it was pretty cool um, in that sense. And just being around people and like Sean White and the opening ceremonies and um, meeting Nathan Chen, having good conversations with him. It was, yeah, it was a pretty surreal experience that uh, I don't think I fully grasped now. Uh, I think over time that will hopefully start to sink in a bit. And like I said, with, with signing, it was just such a special experience for my family and friends that that was really the beauty of it. Now, I know you are a no stone unturned guy. You mentioned Stephen Valiquet. Um, You know, I know you've worked with him since you were 13. So and I've read the stories. Obviously, the the, the media is going to focus a lot of things on diet and the paleo and the you know the the light blocking blue light blocking glasses and all those things. But to me, I look at all those things and I just look at a guy who, like I said, no stone unturned, always looking for ways to get better. So, advice based on your experience at the Olympics, how did you separate that those fanboy moments, like Sean White for crying out loud, like that I'm here and manage to sort of focus back to, like you said, just another hockey tournament. Are there lessons there in terms of the way you prepare or things that you did to sort of help you get past the spotlight sort of moment and back into yourself and into your game? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I think the key there, the word you said was prepare. Uh, for me, everything's about preparation. I'm, I'm a believer that you can't, rise to the occasion you sink to your training and for me it's yeah it's impossible to to just wing it and go through something the first time while you're at the olympics be like okay i gotta i gotta dial in somehow and um mentally focus or when you get in that game be like okay this is a, a huge game i gotta somehow make it happen it's uh it's it's all about sinking back to your pre uh, preparation and so when you you go your whole off season or in season preparing not only physically, but mentally and going through these situations, whether through visualization, which I know a lot of other goalies have talked about on this podcast or um, yeah, just going through these situations before you get to the big situation and that Olympic situation is, is what it's all about because you're not going to be able to wing it out there. You're going to, you're going to sink to the level you're training. And, and if you know you've prepared and you know, you've gone through it in your head, then there's an ease to that. And you can, you can say to yourself, okay, I've got this. I can let go. I can trust my game. I can trust my preparation because I've done it before, um, whether on this stage or just in my head visualizing. So I think that's the beauty of preparation. And um, yeah, I'd be lying if I said, oh, I just went out there and, you know, I just really like seized the moment. I, I did, but I, I really my my goal was just to let go and trust what I had done in the months and years prior. 
Can you share some of what that preparation looks like now for you, maybe heading into a big game like that or any game, I guess, since the idea is to keep it consistent and how it's evolved over the years? We've heard from a lot of guys, especially this is for you next year, going to your first year, well, I guess first year North American Pro, you would have experienced it uh, in Sweden. But, you know, quite often we we at Ingle were guilty of sort of sharing all these little things that goalies do. And then some goalies try to do them all and it becomes overwhelming and too much. Is that something you've gone through? How have you weeded out what you need, what you want, and how you get ready for games, whether it's first one in Sweden, first one on the Olympic stage, or just your, you know, your, your junior season at Michigan. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot there. It's, uh, the biggest thing is just finding what works for you. And I I know that's kind of a cliche, but I think you gotta, you gotta test the the boundaries there a bit. Like you're saying that you might be doing too much at times. And I'm probably guilty of that trying to add too much to my game. And now my, my process right now at this point in my career is a lot about simplifying and really finding what's important because there's a million things you can be doing. And uh, sometimes I don't give myself enough free time because I want to be doing them all and, and that's not healthy. So yeah, I think sometimes you gotta, you just gotta play with a lot of things, figure out what works, but getting back to it, like for me, it's been about meditation, visualization, stretching, just taking care of my body in different ways, whether diet and, learning about new, new ways of training. For, for me, it all starts from knowledge and, and reading books and listening to podcasts and that curiosity, that, that wanting to get better. Um, and then from there, you learn about all these new things, which then take you to new places. And it's just a, a great feedback loop. And, and then from there, it's about, it's about simplifying because like, like we said, we, you can't do it all. Um, but yeah, for me, things like visualization, meditation, they're, there are things that I do every day, calming the mind. I think in our, in our society today, our, our brains aren't adapted to be in our world with phones and, and social media and all this. And uh, it's easy to say, like, get rid of the distractions, but we're addicted to our phones. We're addicted to it. It's everywhere. Everyone needs you to, to be responding at a moment's notice. And how can you gain a competitive advantage there? It's, it's through these little tools like meditation and things that get you away from that. And then going back to the the big game moments, like there's there's things the day of that I do to get myself in the right mind frame, but it's the it's the daily habits and the daily work I do to to get rid of those those negative thoughts and and view them as just um, my survival instincts rather than uh, logic. And so just going through daily activities like that is is big for me. And again, maybe that's not the biggest thing for everyone. I, I think my nature is being a little bit of an overthinker. So it's something I need to do to, to balance that out. But for someone else, it might be something completely different. And I think sometimes when older goalies give advice, it's like it comes off as you have to do this or that to, to be good. But this work for me and something completely different could work for you. I'm, I'm just a believer that that mindset to get better is, is the difference maker. Well, it's like, it's kind of like on the ice, isn't it? Like tools in the toolbox. We, the best advice would be to try them all and then find the ones that work for you and get rid of the ones that maybe don't, but ignoring some of them. Well, I, there was a great line in the ESPN piece on you. I loved it. If everyone did it, it wouldn't be a competitive advantage, would it? <laughs> yeah, that was uh, something I kind of remember saying too, and I don't know if I thought about it until I said that, but yeah, it's, I'm not going to sit here and say, I don't care what people think of me. I think sometimes I get that, that vibe, uh, 
just from interviews like that that talk about my blue light glasses or diet or whatnot. I obviously do things a lot differently and people, people judge that. And I know that, and it does get to me sometimes. I think the biggest thing is I just care more about getting better than what people care about me or what people think about me. It's, it's not that I don't care about what people think and I'm getting better at that. I'm trying not to care. And I think as I continue to progress and people get to know me better, they stop caring because they, they see it's, uh, it's just me and just what I do and maybe don't judge me as much for it anymore. But yeah, it's uh, that that's a funny line for sure. And I just care about the little things because I know they're, they're working and that's what matters more to me. Well, that's, I mean, you're in the right spot here because we see that as like, like, like I said, like, Goalies that are no stone unturned, like always ways that whatever advantage you can find, whether it's equipment, whether it's mental training, whether it's on ice training, like why wouldn't you look to get better? So you're, you're, you're in a place where we don't look at this as the quirky thing that everyone else writes about it. We look at it as a, as a real positive. And I guess the focus is how you channel all those things. And so you talk about outside sources and, and podcasts and reading. And I know you're a brilliant student as well at the University of Michigan. Um, business, I believe, was the focus. Yeah. Can you give me some examples, whether it's the business world or maybe in training, where there's something that's come to you outside of the world of goaltending that has become part of your life as a goaltender? Is there is there any that jump out like that, where whether it's how you train or how you prepare mentally, where you found an edge for goaltending from outside the goaltending world? That's a great question. It's uh... put you on the spot a little bit. Sorry. Yeah, no, it's, it's really good. It's like, I think everything is everything. Like you do everything in life, how you, how you play the game and vice versa. It's, it's really, I had a mental coach at Michigan who helped me a lot. He was actually someone that helped Tom Brady a lot while he was there. Uh, his name's Greg Harden and his big, the, the thing, big thing he preached was just attacking every day and um, really just going all in like he especially with all his athletes would be explaining to them like you have to go all in on school you have to go all in on this this growth mindset of life and that translates directly and uh, something I learned and he would preach as well is that when you do that when you focus on school and these other things it takes a lot of the pressure off uh, of the game because you feel like life is not just hockey and instead hockey is to improve your life and that's kind of how I look at it is hockey is obviously I have all these goals in, in the game and I want to keep progressing. But for me, it's really about doing all these things to grow as a person. And in that way, hockey is just a vehicle for me to do that. Um, but one thing that comes to mind from what you just said is I started playing the guitar in the last year and uh, it was a pretty cool experience to start from scratch, like not knowing anything about guitar or playing instruments really. And um yeah, just starting from the beginning and how terrible I was and like how I couldn't even grip the strings. And to now I'm not, I'm not great. I'm not the best guitar player ever, but I can play songs. And um, just seeing that progression from the beginning of the process where at a certain point when you've played so long, you kind of forget in hockey how much better you can get at things. But to see in a craft like guitar, like, how fast I was able to pick up skills. Like even if I just worked for 30 minutes on one movement, the next day I would be able to do it 10 times better. And 
And that was a great example. They kind of showed me, oh, wow, like there's all these skills that I can still still grow in my game. I, I just sometimes, uh, obviously, the learning curve isn't as steep anymore once you've been playing for so long. But uh, that was an interesting example that stood out to me for sure. So I got to ask, because there are a lot of goalies that play the guitar. Uh, it's a pretty yeah. long list. Obviously, the most famous being Henrik Lundqvist. Was this a function of being in Sweden and probably having a lot of downtime and in a foreign country in northern Sweden where not an easy winter to get used to? Was it just something you like, was that what led to it? Or were you aware in any way of sort of the history of goalies and guitars? Have you ever seen the story? We had a sports psychologist that um, actually has done studies. I guess I should just ask if your glove hand felt better because there's actual studies that show the neural pathways that you use to train to play a guitar are the same neural pathways that allow you to instinctively. So as long as you're, I can't remember what it was. I'd have to look it up. It can't be sheet music. I think you have to be, or maybe you do need to be reading sheet music, but the way we bring that data of the next bar that's coming into our brain and relay it to that hand directly relates from a neural pathway perspective from the information we pick up off a stick blade to know where that puck is going for our hand. Did you have any idea that that science existed? I didn't know about the science. I didn't know about the research, but not too long into that journey. I, I definitely, I think like thought of it on my own. It's just the way we hold glove and blocker. It's basically the exact same. And, and I have to be careful here because this is supposed to be a, a hobby that gets me away from the game. So I'm, I'm, trying, <laughs> Sorry. I'm trying to not, uh, try not to let it correlate too much, at least where I'm too conscious of it. Cause I, I do want my hobbies to hopefully get my mind off things a bit. But if, if that's an added bonus, I'll definitely take it. Um, but yeah, it, I mean, it totally makes sense when you, when you think about it. And uh, just that mind-body connection in a lot of ways can, can definitely translate. What about, uh, what about that? We talked about you know, going to Sweden and the decision from a professional standpoint. Northern Sweden is quite a bit different. I know I saw the Instagram post uh, where you're quite open and honest about how difficult that can be. I mean... Here on the West Coast in Vancouver, it's funny, I was driving my daughter to volleyball this morning at 6 a.m. And it was the first day where we'd driven where, where the sun was starting to come up. It had been a dark drive every morning, you know, all winter. And it's like, it's amazing how much brighter that makes your day. So I can't imagine, you know, going through a winter with such little sun. Is that, I mean, was that tougher than I think a lot of people might have thought going into it? Or than a lot of people would even understand without having experienced it? Yeah, it was definitely tough. Um, I I definitely knew about it going into it. It wasn't a surprise. It's just you don't really know what that's like till you're you're in it when you get home from the rink. And I mean, at the worst of it, the sun doesn't even really come up. It's just like a little bit of light for maybe thirty minutes to an hour or something like that. And and then it's pitch black at two two thirty. It's it's pretty tough mentally to to stay up and know what to do with your time um, when that's going on. But yeah, in terms of the Instagram posts and everything, I think, uh, I think some people maybe took that to me and I was really down or it was a really tough time for me. And, and while there were tough days and everything, I think I was just, I was trying to be vulnerable in a way and just show that, I don't know, the, the good and the bad, they're kind of inseparable. You learn so much from those experiences. Yeah. It's not fun to be in them while, while you're there, but now I get home and I'm I'm in the sun and um in America and it feels so good and I'm like really soaking it all in because I haven't had it in so long and it if I if I hadn't gone to Sweden I probably wouldn't be appreciating it as much so 
Um, there's good and bad to everything. And one of the more interesting things was, yeah, just the people out there, I assume they're so used to it. Like uh, Joachim Lindstrom, the, he's was the oldest guy on our team this year. He's had a great career and he played in the NHL a bit too. And he, he grew up in that town. And I was asking him at the end of the year, like, do you get used to that? Like, and, and he was like, no, like it's so tough. Uh, it's really tough on the mind, but yeah, he was just talking a little bit about that. And I don't know. It, it was it was a valuable experience, and it definitely makes me appreciate the sun a lot more. Uh, just waking up, having it in your eyes, and and I think it it was just definitely a valuable experience to not take that for granted either. I wanted to ask one more about Sweden before we sort of move on a little bit and get into a little bit of history. We talked a little bit about the different style of play. What about from a goalie coaching perspective? You talked about getting different voices, and and what was that like? What what types of things you, you talked about the rink being different but what about style of play and style of coaching and style of teaching were there some was it distinct differences i mean i guess there are commonalities for all goaltending but what were some of the little nuances you noticed that were different do you think they were specific to the style of attack or more broader in terms of you know unique approach to goaltending compared to what you'd experienced before yeah, I mean, I, I can't speak to the whole system necessarily just because I, I only had one goalie coach in Leftio, but I was definitely very lucky with the goalie coach I had and in a lot of ways. And um, I could really feel an emphasis on on tracking and, and hands a lot more. I'm someone that's maybe been a little bit more um, lenient on, on using the chicken wing and uh, taking up space in my positioning and maybe not being overly worried about getting very handsy. Uh, but I definitely felt that was a big thing is especially in Sweden. I think they would talk about it. Like the Finns have such good hands and, and, um, they're tracking so good and into their glove. And, and it was just an interesting perspective. I haven't really had a lot in the past from goalie coaches. And I think that is, uh, a bit in part because of the style of play. Um, I mean, even when I went from the SHL straight to the Olympics, like, those first practices on the smaller rink with obviously most of the college guys who are used to the, the uh, North American game. It was, it was an adjustment like this. I was like, Holy, Holy shit. Like guys are shooting again. It was crazy. Um, I was so used to guys just waiting for the perfect tap. And so uh, yeah, it's definitely a, a very different game. And uh, I, I didn't really notice it as much when I first went over to Sweden because I had the whole summer to adjust and it wasn't like, straight from one to the other but yeah in the olympics it was it's a pretty quick adjustment and having to get used to guys shooting again and maybe a huge emphasis more on on your positioning and uh box control where in sweden it's it's a little bit more i felt about your footwork and and hands and i think that's something that i needed to work on so it was it was huge for me i mean i'm guessing too and when we've had this conversation in years past it was it was with goalies that went over to russia and came back i guess a few in sweden as well but there can be a benefit as as the NHL and North American Pro become so much more east west in speed. Um, as much as it's different because everything is on top of you, and you're right, everything's direct and traffic, and you know you can't take a nap while the puck's in the corner because the rink's so big. Uh, or as yeah. one goalie told us, have a cup of coffee while it's in the corner and have a look around and assess things. A uh, little tougher to do over here, but that east west, that east west beating plays on your skates, the need to be patient seems to be something that you absolutely have to have here now. And I'm guessing that's something that would have been a focal point there, like not committing early, 
having patience, beating plays up, not not being down. Does that sound like a fair assessment? Was that your experience? Yeah, for sure. I think I think that's huge. Um, I definitely felt that the, the patience was something that was emphasized a lot as well. And that's something I've had in my game for a bit, just being an undersized guy. And especially even, even being undersized, I was way more undersized in high school. I had a late growth spurt. So I really had to learn that. And I think um, that paid off for me in Sweden, even more so than in the U.S. But yeah, it's it's just a it's a very different game. It's pretty cool to see how even in leagues where guys have played back and forth between North America and Europe, like how different it can be. Um, and it it, it was a very valuable experience for me to to add things to my game and yeah, get a different perspective. It, but it was it's tough at times too in a league like that where guys love to pass it to to really be aware of what's around you, but then still hold that, that foundation of stopping the original shot. I think in North America, you can get, you can get away with really committing to the shot and kind of more of the mindset of like, okay, my, my teammates will take away the backdoor pass, but you really sometimes couldn't in Sweden because of how much more room there is out there. So the biggest challenge wasn't necessarily for me knowing what was around me and being aware of that. It was more, being aware of that, but still holding my ground and not leaving early and yet having that patience. In some ways, and, it, and I, I'm not making the comparison directly, but in some ways it would be like spending too much time in the summer playing shinny. If you know they're always yeah. going to pass and you start leaning to it or cheating to it in any way, you can get yourself in trouble. For sure. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. Um, yeah, so I think, and while it was very good to be there for a year, I think many years maybe wouldn't do the same thing just because of what you're saying. It might start to push my game a little bit away from the North American style. But yeah, that, that year, that season there was definitely just such a cool experience. And, and I, I definitely grew my game in a lot of ways because of it. You're such a, clearly you have a passion for the position. Um, where did it start? Where, where, where did, how did, how did Strauss man become? a goalie and where did where'd you fall in love with the position was there a guy growing up that that ignited this passion for you or is it just playing with friends how did it all get started yeah i mean the guy growing up for sure was uh the guy you had on here not too long ago henrik lundquist big rangers fan yeah i see the jersey in the back uh i have quite a few of those as well um yeah big rangers fan growing up being only like 45 minutes from the garden and going to a lot of games and just being able to watch him on TV, just his compete level is, I don't know, it's, you can't put it into words. You just have to watch him and you, and you feel it. Um, and I really, that really spoke to me at a young age. I, I didn't have parents to play hockey or anything, but all my friends at school played and one of them showed me a Rangers game and I was just like, oh, this guy is so cool. Um, I, I still, to this day, in my childhood bedroom, have a fat head of him right above my uh, right above my bed. And I actually met him once. And, and what I said to him, I was like, uh, I have a fat head of you right above my bed. Uh, you're the first thing I see when I wake up and last thing I see when I go to go to bed. And so maybe he'll remember me if he listens, listens to this, but, um, yeah, he was just the best and loved him. And then, yeah, I just got into it. I think a lot of guys have said this, but I just like the, the control you have of the game. I'm a bit of a control freak by nature. So it felt good to have that. And I'll give my dad a little bit of credit too. We, when I was playing house league at a young age, 
we, our team made it to the championship and, and he told me I had to play goalie because we were switching off goalies every week. And, and he was like, I think we'll have the best chance if you play. And after that game, I, we won and I, I kind of just stuck with it a bit. So I'll, I'll give him a shout out as well. Okay, so watching Lundqvist, being a fan of Lundqvist, falling in love with the game and the position because of Lundqvist, uh, Steve told me that you actually got a chance, like you would sit behind Henrik at the Garden, like get a chance to watch him up close and, and sort of like, was there a point where you went from just admiring everything from a broader range perspective to starting to dial in on some of the details? Like with that point where you go from being a fan of a guy to maybe mimicking or trying to identify some of the things that make him special and bring it into your own game. Like what age did that transition start for you from just playing to really digging into it like that? I don't know if it was fully with, with Lundqvist that that next level kind of hit me, but for sure there was, after I met Valley, um, my whole mindset changed. I just started to have this growth mindset and, and seeing the game a different way, just seeing how much, I could really throw um, throw to my pro- into my process, and a big part of that was video, and whether live or um, on TV, and just watching guys play. So I think I watched a lot of him, but also at that point, I I don't know if I his game itself, his technique, spoke to me a hu- in a huge way. It definitely influenced me at a young age, just subconsciously from watching him so much. But yeah, we, I wouldn't say we played the exact same way or anything, and. But at that age, yeah, I just started to watch all these different goalies, whether Price or smaller guys. Like I remember Ronta was on the Rangers for a little and now Soros. Like, how can you not watch all these guys? They're all so different. I think that's the beauty of the position is you can be a Craig Anderson or you can be a Carey Price and still stop the puck. So um, I just try and take a lot of little things from different guys. And also, as, as I've gotten older, I, I think when you're young, you always think, oh, this guy's so much better than me. Like, who am I, who am I to say like that uh, he does this poorly or, or that I would do this differently, but then you start to grow up and you're like, that's okay. Like, it's okay to, to look at an NHL goalie and say like, I can do this better than him. Or I, like, I think that's, that's part of the belief. And um, I hope people can look at my game and say the same thing because that's, that's the beauty of it. There's always things you can get better and you have to make trade-offs in your game too, to be good at one thing. You maybe have to give up something else. So, I just think it's so cool to watch all these guys do their thing and pick up things. Isn't that the best part of the position? Like, there's no one way to do this. Oh, yeah. It's, it's so cool. Uh, and I used to be in a little bit of a, a tunnel in my mindset, just thinking, like, my way is the best way. But over time, it's, it's just so clear that you can do it a million different ways and, and, and still get results. Do you watch, like, I've talked to other guys, like, you know, clearly, like you said, like, size is probably one of the reasons you didn't have offers last year. Um, there is sort of this bias towards, I've always said, you know, and actually, you know, I don't know if you've heard the in, in Clark podcast with us, but it was him that talked about if there's a perfect size, if there's an ideal, then guys that are bigger have challenges too, like bigger holes and movement and stuff like that. And same as guys that are two inches smaller than the ideal, they all have challenges. The difference is the guys at the big side of that scale get every opportunity and the ones that at the other end quite often don't. Do you watch guys like Saros? Like, do you, do you watch him more closely than anyone else? Just because of the, I think there's a lot of us that are watching UC Saros right now and just enjoying the success he's having. Yeah, I definitely watch him a lot. Um, and I agree with that. I, obviously, I'm biased because I'm on the, the shorter side of things. But 
I definitely think bigger goalies can maybe get away with a little bit more. Um, but I, I don't think you can look at it that simply too, because like I was saying, when I was younger, when I was growing my game and such important years in my life, um, I was smaller. And so I had to learn these skills like patience and, and positioning and efficiency in my movement. So, um, where maybe bigger guys wouldn't learn that. And I think that's where the draft has had some issues is guys are so young when they get drafted, they look at the the bigger guys and, and the guys that have that quote unquote goalie body, but maybe they're not putting in as much into their game, into those little things because they don't have to, because they feel like they can get away with more at a young age. And, and I think over time there's a real advantage in, in being smaller, um, in that way, I think a lot of smaller goalies just have to be better. Uh, obviously, it's not like that in every situation, but that's also how how I look at it a bit too. So, um, yeah, at the end of the day, if you can stop the puck, you can stop the puck. I, I don't think it really matters how tall you are. Obviously, there isn't an uh, emphasis on that these days, but I don't necessarily agree with it too much. Now, was that was it something that you faced? You mentioned a growth spurt earlier on because this path, as much as even even Michigan, like the success you had at Michigan, I talked about the captaincy and back to back nine thirty plus save percentage years. Your last two seasons there, like you didn't arrive at Michigan with a full ride. Like you had a partial scholarship. Um, going rewinding it back further to like high school, my understanding is back up in your junior year, didn't get a chance to play till your senior year. Two parts to this. Why do you think that was? Like, do, are there elements? Because I've always wondered about this, especially at the lower levels, but it exists right up to the NHL. There are things you do and ways you move that are so efficient. And I think sometimes the evaluators of goaltending look for busy and athletic, and really it's just a lot of wasted movement. Was that part of the challenge for you in terms of knowing or believing that you could play at certain levels and not? getting a chance because other people couldn't see that stuff? Or do you think it was more just about size? Um, I'd say a little bit of both. Yeah, it's, I definitely agree. I think uh, people are always looking for this wow factor and, and maybe that's starting to change as well. And maybe that's why there's a couple smaller goalies in the league now too, because teams are investing more in their goalie department and their goalie scouting. So I think goalies for the most part, understand that stuff. Um, if you're not a goalie, yeah, you probably look for the wow factor, guys who can do the splits, the six foot five guys um, who are reaching for every puck and maybe come up with huge glove saves, which to me, like a lot of those, my, my game is, um, yeah, just making hard saves look easy. And I think sometimes people don't appreciate that as much because they don't see all the five passes you had beaten before the shot uh was taken they just see the shot that was taken uh but at the end of the day i think well as much as i myself try and not focus on numbers and try and honestly not look at them i think the numbers kind of speak and that's why i think i've I've had some successes just i've had to show that every year in my in my performance where maybe other guys can can get away with having a, a subpar year and and they still get that that benefit of the doubt was there were there moment was it frustrating at times like it had to be especially as a younger guy to not get some of the opportunities that you maybe felt you were good enough to handle oh for sure um i think that's one of the 
sometimes concerns I have with sitting on a podcast like this and talking about all the things I did, it, it makes it seem like I'm here and it was always bound to happen because I, I believed in myself and all this. And, and while I did believe in myself long-term, it, it was hard. Like there were times where I decided or thought about just going division three. And there were times where I felt like I didn't have a shot at making it to the NHL for sure. But I think there were enough people that believed in me, like, like Valley and, and other people. And, um, that, that I was able to believe in myself. And I think going back to the beginning of just the preparation uh, that goes into everything, I was, I was always able to gain confidence off my preparation because I think a lot of people's confidence can be ego driven. Like I'm the best, I'm the best in the world. Like just, just saying these things to themselves, but uh, that's not really me. And for me, I was always able to gain confidence from, you know, I can do that better than this guy or I, I, I can do this move really well, or I, I played against this great team with these great players and I was able to hold my own and, and just really feeling like slowly I was able to gain confidence from that. Um, but yeah, there are doubts and there's always going to be doubts. I think it's just, just about having the tools to deal with those. And like I said, reminding yourself that hockey isn't life. And, and at the end of the day, if you fail, it's, it's not about whether you make it or not. It's, about how you grow in the process so um you really can't lose in that sense so that's i mean when we talk about belief and maintaining that sense of belief that it's all anchored in in that philosophy you know even in those moments where there are doubts and frustrations because i wasn't sure how to phrase that because i know i i don't think we want to just present it i didn't want to just present it like this was this easy path for you because you just kept grinding there had to be challenges and i was hoping you know, like you said the way you overcame them could be a lesson to other young goalies who might be facing the same thing right now where, you know, they feel like, Hey, I'm ready for this opportunity. I know I'm ready for this opportunity, but I can't get it yet. Why? You know, how, how you, how you work your way through those challenges and frustrations and that belief sounds like for you really does come all back to that preparation. Yeah, for sure. And I think the big thing is just looking at everything as an opportunity and I wish I could have seen this even a little bit more at, at a younger age when I was in high school and a backup in junior year or not even really on the varsity team my first two years. Just seeing it as an opportunity because it was a huge opportunity to, to work on my game. And while I wasn't playing all the games, it, it really forced me to do a lot more goalie sessions with Valley or, or work on my game and practice a lot more. And I think that's just paid off so much in the long term of, of my game just I think some guys, when they play a lot of games at a young age, it's, you don't, I mean, you don't get much better in games. You get better from reflecting on your games. And I was able to really just have like goalie sessions every day for three years while I wasn't playing. And so then when I did get my opportunity, I felt like I was that much more prepared and that much better. But again, if, if I didn't have that mindset of getting better every day, then that doesn't happen. So it's all about how you look at things, glass half full or glass half empty. And, um, that's life and that's hockey. You've talked about mindset. You've said growth mindset a bunch of times. And I think we all like it. It can, it can almost become a catchphrase type thing where we all think we know what it means. Um, but I understand that you're, you're looking at actually, you know, I talk about how we can help other kids that listen to this, but you're looking at actually, you guys are starting a business with it, with somebody from, I believe from Michigan, like walk me through what growth mindset means to you and how, you hope to maybe help other people find that through what you guys have cooking here and, and we'll be able to find out. I know it's not live yet, 
but I wanted to I wanted to I wanted to find out more about it when you mentioned it. Yeah, so it's actually a company I'm going to start with my teammate from Hleftio that he's an American, you know, they're American on my team, but from the second we got there, we just had a a great connection and um he's going to be a friend for a lifetime. I already know that and it was just a great year to grow from him. He's a defenseman, but uh we both kind of in different ways at different points in our career had a realization of that thing, the, the growth mindset and how valuable that is, how much that can can do for your game in, in the long term. And for me, it was in high school when I needed it to be. And for him, it was uh, after a little bit of a tough stretch in pro where he, he had played a couple NHL games and then gotten sent down all the way to the coast. And now he's in the process of trying to get back to the NHL. And he, he had a great year for us this year. He's one of our best defensemen. And yeah, I mean, for us, it's, it's all about just that, that flip of the switch of your, your mind going all in and just wanting to get better. And I've said it a bunch in this podcast, but it's not even necessarily about hockey itself. It's, it's about, it's about life and growing and hockey can do that for you. But for us, we just know the power of, um, when you go all in, when you commit to the, those competitive advantages, to those inches and the daily grind, you just, you get so much better over time. And, it's a pretty fulfilling life to live too. There's a lot of purpose in it. And we just want to teach kids to, to do that high school kids to, to be able to commit to, to their craft and, and really go for their goals without any fear, because there's a lot of people in life that want to hold you back and tell you, you can't do it or tell you just, just go do this, take this job or go to this college instead. But life, life's too short to, to not go for your dreams and, and really go all out for it. So we're just trying to give back a little bit and, and teach that lesson. And um, I mean, the, the big uh, phrase that we, we keep coming back to is if, if you give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. If you teach a man to fish, you feed him for a lifetime. And that's kind of one of our mottos is, is teaching, teaching people how to fish, like how to commit to the process, not necessarily what exactly to do. Like for me, it was my diet that really sparked a big, a big change in me and, and pushed me to, to have this discipline in my life and in multiple areas. But for other people it could be something completely different. But I think the one thing that everyone can share is just that, that mindset to get better and to grow. And um, that's something you can't replicate. It seems like an easy concept on some level, right? Oh, just always look for opportunities to growth, growth mindset. But are there tools and ways to approach it that you've learned over the years that help sort of foster it or encourage it um, so that it does become a daily part of life as opposed to just like just this sort of phrase or like to, yeah. to really, truly adopt it? Are there ways that that I guess they'd be different for everyone, but ways to sort of help people get to that sort of approach? Yeah, I mean, there's lots of different different ways and um reflection is huge i think journaling and reflection is just massive in terms of growing from your everyday uh i do it every morning every night just to reflect and if you're not really becoming conscious of what you're what you're doing and your behaviors and your habits it's it's hard to change or to or to grow and to to be uh purposeful in how you're doing things so I think that's huge. And that's a big emphasis on our program is, is habit formation and identifying your habits and learning to, to step in and, and change them. 
And then in general, like our kind of three pillars, the three C's we're using are commitment, curiosity, and connection. Um, and I think that speaks a lot to, to what you're asking about is, is commitment to the process and, and that curiosity. We've also been talking about a lot of just, just asking the right questions and, and seeking out the right people. And then, and then the connection and that I think caps, uh, and I, our relationship has shown that a bit, just when you find people in your life that see, see things the same way and have that growth mindset, you, you start to push each other and. I think there's a real room for, for a community for uh, like-minded people like us who really want to get better. And I know there's a lot of young kids that want to do that, but just don't feel like they belong in, in that sense. Cause I can relate that a lot of people, like we were talking about before, kind of make fun of you and you're doing your blue light glasses or, or uh, eating your weird food. And I think if there's a little bit more of a community for that, it becomes a lot easier for people to really commit and, and have that, uh, mindset where they just want to get better and uh, do whatever it takes to do that. Okay. You talked about the food. I don't want to focus on it too much because I think, (laughs) like I said, it's just another stone that you turn over, right? Another way that you've found to help you be the best you both personally and as a goalie. But where did the focus come from on the paleo diet? How strict did like, and and I guess for others, they kind of like goaltending, right? Like, Nutri- we know nutrition is important. doesn't mean that everyone has to commit to a paleo diet, but having that focus in terms of you have reasons you do that. Other people, my wife and daughter are full out 100% vegans. And when I eat what they're preparing, I feel better about everything. Um, mm. You know what I mean? Like as soon as I start, when I'm at the rink and away from the family and start sneaking snacks that have processed sugar and stuff, I can feel my energy. I can, so I know this stuff works. What for you, why is it important for you? Is it a part of the routine? Is it just how you feel? How'd you get into that side of things? Yeah, I mean, so I got into it uh, because the gym, I still go to to this day in the summers, uh, Prentice, which is near my house in Connecticut. It's, uh, they're they're big on this diet and have a lot of their pros do it. And it's been really helpful to them. But I actually heard about the diet before I even heard about the gym really. And it it happened to be at that exact time where I kind of flipped a switch from uh, in my mindset, especially working with Valley. And, and for me, that became the thing that I latched onto and and just really went all in on. And it became so valuable for me personally, because I wasn't always in the best shape growing up. Um, And Valley would talk to me about that. Like you need to be in good shape to play this position. It's to be at your best. And so I was really looking for things and that just became the thing for me. And, uh, yeah, I just really went all in on diet and I'm still all in on it today. Maybe a little bit more, uh, willing to go outside of it at times, but, uh, yeah, it just became a huge thing for me. And I just saw all these different areas of my life after that start to change too. I, I read this book called the power of habit, uh, while we're talking about habits and everything. And for me, it, it was a keystone habit is what the book talks about. Just something that you change one habit that then sparks all this other change in your life. And that ended up being it for me. And it's not going to be that for everyone. It, it, it's, it's definitely uh, dependent on your situation, but I've just really always loved that. And, and also grown an interest in it over the years and nutrition and how the body works. And um, yeah, it's just something that maybe I'll ease up on as time goes in terms of how strict I am, but it's always probably going to be a staple to my life just because of 
more so what it represents to me and, and that change in, in my life. Love it. Now, Prentice, I knew I'd heard of that. I'm like, I've heard other guys reference this. Like, that's a that's a who's who of hockey training out there. Do you? Uh, there's a few goalies that I know. Like, uh, I'm pretty sure Thatch is one of the guys that at some point he's been out that way. I know he's moved now to San, like he's back in San Diego, but Demmer, Quickie, like, so did you ever have any sort of with these guys where you picked up things or have you ever had a chance to train with any of these guys on or off the ice? Yeah. I mean, I've definitely grown up like seeing Quickie in the gym and, and Demko a bit. He was there, I think a couple summers ago. Uh, and it just, it was just cool to, to watch those guys. And I mean, you're so separated from, these athletes growing up, you, you see them as idols, not people. And like, they're not even real. And then you walk into a gym when you're in high school and there's Chris Kreider or Cam Atkinson or Pacioretty or Jonathan Quick. And, and then you, you see the workouts they're doing. And you're like, oh, we're, we're kind of doing something similar. Maybe it just, it kind of bridges that gap a bit in, in terms of another factor that helps you believe in yourself a little bit more and making, making the, uh, your dreams a little bit less scary, uh, of a destination to get to. So, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say I got to pick their brains a lot at all. Um, I, I work out with Spencer Knight now, like not with him, but usually around the same time. So he's another guy that obviously closer to my age and, and um, he's been having a lot of success. He's a special talent and yeah, just being around a lot of those guys, it's a cool culture. And yeah, just getting back to the connection part I was just talking about. It's, that's probably one of the only places I've been where there's a real community for getting better and, and caring about your body and where other places guys joke around and mess with you when you're, you're eating healthy or whatever, like there, it was, it was the norm. And it, it took a lot of, or I, I should say it, a lot of the wasted mental energy that can come with all those uh, judgments isn't there. So um that's definitely a, a cool place to be. And I would definitely recommend it to any, any younger hockey players looking to get better. And now I know, now I remember where I first heard it was probably in our talks with Spencer heading into the draft. And yeah, now I know where it jumps out to mind. And I, and that doesn't surprise me, right? Cause that's a place full of other guys on the same path and committed to it at that level, that that would be a place where judgment of those types of things would not be passed because they're all, they all see the benefit, maybe not in the exact diet you choose, but in, in the dedication to getting better. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So, um, one little, I wanted to ask a little bit about your work with Valley and tie it into like, you guys started working at 13. I haven't even asked you what you see as your foundation as a goaltender. We've talked about all these different things, like from a style standpoint or or how you play the position and whether there's keys that anchor you. You know, Some guys will write them in a blocker, like things that you identify as your staples and tie that into your path. Because, you know, like you said, uh, you kind of, it was kind of wasn't until 18 where you sort of get that opportunity, get that opportunity in high school, finally get to start as a senior. You pop there under 18 national championship with mid Fairfield. Um, and then into the U even the USHL starts with a, with a walk-on opportunity. So how did your game evolve through those years? What's the foundation of it? And how did that play a role in, in finally getting some of these opportunities and making the most of them? Yeah, I think the foundation that I just learned from Valley, I, it, it sounds simple, but it's, it was kind of, it's kind of just stopping the puck. Like, I think there's a lot of information out there and a lot of different skating drills or this and that where 
guys are um, making it seem like this is the next thing to get you to the next level. But I, I was really, I'm really grateful for being able to work with Valley because it, it was pretty simple at the beginning, especially it's, let's put a puck right here. Let's put a camera right behind it and let's see how big you are in the net. And that really just like totally changed my mindset. I was a small guy. When I started working with him, I don't know how tall I was, maybe five foot five at the tallest. And like just seeing that, seeing as a five foot five guy, you put a puck on the dot. And if I do everything right, you can't beat me. Like, and you start, I remember we had uh, Calvin DeHaan, who's obviously in the NHL now. He was in Bridgeport at the time. He shot on me in, in that first year I was working with Valley, maybe a couple sessions in. And, we were just doing some of those drills and putting pucks in certain areas and having them shoot and seeing that puck's perspective and knowing that a guy like that couldn't beat me even when I was 14 and he was a pro hockey player. It just built a lot of confidence. And I really started to see the game that way in the puck's perspective and really playing to my positioning. I guess it's defined as box control, but yeah, that was the biggest key for me. And then, from there, all Valley stuff in terms of tracking and we started to implement the double shuffle a little bit. I, I keep seeing that today as a thing where guys are switching from the T push to the double shuffle, but that's, it's kind of funny because that's something I, we were, it felt like inventing at when I was 14, 15, 16, and that became a, a big staple of my game. And yeah. And then obviously like just watching Henrik Lundqvist, I think for me, a big staple was always my compete level. Uh, and I always took a lot of pride in that, just being able to out-compete, out-compete players and, and other goalies. And I, I think that can and can't be taught. It's, it can be taught because you can teach a, a young kid to, to get that spark and, and change their mindset, but it also isn't a technical thing. It's, it's a flip of the switch. It's, it's a mindset. It's, uh, it's getting rid of holding back your fears a bit and just kind of going all in. Now that puck perspective, box control, we've heard it, like how to close the box, like how to go to the ice without opening the holes when 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 we figure out that small net in front of us is all we got to worry about, not the big one behind us. What was that process like for you? Says sounds like it was pretty eye-opening to to realize how much smaller the space you had to cover was than that 6 by 4 behind us can sometimes feel. Yeah, that I that was huge and I think the the key for me was that that was at the beginning of my career. I, like I said, like these other things are so valuable, like game reads and skating and footwork and just everything that goes into the position. You could spend a hundred years playing this position and never run out of things to look at, but just starting at that foundation and, and, and seeing how in a way the game's so complicated, but it's also so simple was so great for me. And then since then, and especially as I started to, to play more games since my senior year of high school through now, then there's all these other things you can look at in terms of game reason and reading the power plays and um, maybe squareness and depth and all this stuff, which we looked at a, like a good amount at the beginning, but without that foundation, without that, that core ability to just stop the puck. If you know, all you have to do is stop the puck and there's no pass threats, just a guy from this spot that, that just went a long way for me. If you're in position, you're set and you're square, you've, you've done all the work. It's a matter of getting there ahead of everything these days that can become more and more challenging as the game gets so dynamic in east to west and fast. Exactly. It's kind of like working backwards. Like if you're reflecting on a goal, there's all these things that go into it. But if you don't have that first thing checked off that 
you can stop the puck from that spot. It's none of the other stuff even matters. It's not even worth talking about how you got there. The save selection for me was always number one. So Steve actually credits you for helping him start his statistics company, Clearside Analytics. I wasn't sure. I'm not sure. He must have told you this story, but he told me never, that... He never told me that. Well, there you go. Maybe you need, maybe you need to take a percentage here because... Uh, so I guess it was a drill that he used to do where it was walkouts along the goal line. And late in his career, he liked to do that at the end of practice. And you guys were doing the drill. So just walkouts across the goal line, around the front of the net. And you said he told me that you said to him, like, it's a great drill and it's fun and all, but I feel like this never happens. And he, it, you kind of blew his mind a little bit. And he's like, geez, like light bulb moment is what he called it. How do I know what does and doesn't happen on the ice if I'm not tracking it? And that was part of his process of going back and sort of feeling like he needed to track every play to know what what we should be working on as goalies. So there you go. Percent. Yeah. I mean, now he kind of turned on us, though. Now he's teaching teams how to score on the goalies. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, maybe I do remember that. I think it's valuable. Like Even before he started his business, the way he would break up the ice in our goalie practices and he still does to this day with his dead angle zone funnel. He literally draws the lines on the ice. And that was just huge in terms of making the game a little bit more realistic and, and the practice is realistic. I, I think so many coaches design the in-season practices where guys are just coming with a full head of steam and ripping pucks from wherever. I mean, even if it's in the funnel, it's, it's with the ability to drag one way or the other going to the slot. And it's just, I think it causes a lot of bad habits, but um, especially in the North American game, there's not a lot of time and space and making things a little bit more realistic in practice can go a long way. Cause like I said, it's all about the preparation and those habits. So you can just let go in a game and play, but if you don't build those habits and, and prepare the right way, it's, it's pretty hard to trust your game um, come game time. And, that's at least my thoughts on that. Okay, I got one last one because I'm way over the time here. We're going to set a record, but I've enjoyed this conversation so <laughs> much, Strauss. Um, video, because you mentioned it and you talked about, like I said, like you can do video behind a puck and know how much space you take up. But the other element beyond technique and beyond everything is the ability to anticipate, to read, like tracking helps, but obviously the, the ability to sort of process and read and figure out the patterns of the game. Um, for you, is video played a big role in that? How do you, how do you go about, I guess is the question, because you mentioned reads a few times. How do you go about getting better at reads, especially maybe in your high school years before your senior year where you weren't playing that much? How did you get better at reading the game without maybe getting to play it as often as you wanted? Um, yeah, it's, it's something I've grown a lot. Like, like you just said, since I've started to play a lot more games, like as much as like I have talked about the preparation's huge, it, it is hard to fully emulate a game. And um, that's a huge part of playing and, and getting better. But I think if you're not looking at the video, you're missing a huge opportunity. I, an NHL scout actually in the past couple of years said something to me like, we want every goalie to play about 200 professional or, or games at a high level before they make that full jump to the NHL. And I kind of, while I kind of agreed and thought there was value in that, I was kind of like, I, I don't necessarily know if I agree because on the one hand, there can be a goalie that plays 200 games, doesn't look at their video, just goes through the motions, goes to practice the next day and just 
keeps going, going, going. Well, on the other hand, another goalie could watch a video once after the game, once again with a goalie coach, twice more in the summer, and learn from it four different times. And that's a completely different goalie. One guy is taking everything away from that game, and one guy is just playing the game mindlessly and not reflecting. So without the reflection piece, I think you're, you're missing a lot of opportunities. And it's just such a unique thing that we have in today's world to be able to, to look at ourselves from a third-party view um, and, and notice these little things. And whether in a game or practice, like the goal is to play free. You want to play in the flow state and not be thinking, but you can't do that and reflect at the same time. So I think it's so valuable to be able to let go in the game, play, and then afterwards come back to it and be like, hmm, where did this, where did this weird thing I did come from? Like, should I keep this? Should I change this? And then you can go back to practice the next day and, and play with it a little bit and maybe and maybe work on it. And I think that's where the long-term growth really comes from. And that and that way, by the time you get back to the next game, you're not thinking about it. It's become a little more instinctual. You're not overthinking. You talked about overthinking earlier. Yeah, exactly. And that's, I mean, there have been coaches who have been really worried about me in the past in terms of how deeply I think about the game and not being able to let go of that. But something I tried to explain and I think I ended up just showing is like I overthink every situation so that in the game I can just let go. And that is a hard thing to do. You have to build the tools to be able to let go because like we said, you do everything how you do everything. So um it's a, it's a fine line, but for me, there was so much comfort in looking at a situation a million times, thinking about it, thinking about it so that when I got in the game, I trusted it's my game and, and my solution so well that I knew I didn't need to, to go out there and think that I could just trust my game and, and go numb and just play. And that's been a huge staple for me, uh, especially the last four or five years. Well, I can't wait. I think it's, uh, you, you didn't mention his name, but you mentioned his nickname, Michael Kapla, I'm guessing, is your partner in the business? Yeah, exactly. Okay. I can't wait to see what you guys, we'll, we'll have to touch back in or make sure we promote it. We'll, we'll, we'll let our audience know when you guys are ready to launch, but website-based, I'd imagine, for starters, or at least a, there'll be a website and then we'll go from there. Yeah, there'll be, there'll be a website and uh, stay tuned. We're looking to to launch a, a mentorship program this summer is kind of the start to it. So uh, any young hockey players out there looking to uh, to get better. And if anything I said over this podcast spoke to you a lot, um, stay tuned for that. And it'd be great to have a lot of you guys on. Yeah, we'll definitely have to promote that because I'm, I'm pretty sure that a lot of what you said today spoke to a lot of different young goalies and probably a lot of parents that, you know, even if the goalie's not self-aware yet, they can probably see their young goalie going through that themselves right now. So uh, Strauss, man. This is uh, this has been a real pleasure, a real uh, enjoyable conversation that I know our audience is going to love. So I can't thank you enough for spending so much time with me. I know I'm a little annoying with the questions, but and we went over time, but uh, it's what I do, and uh, your answers were just uh, so engaging, I couldn't stop. So thanks, man. Oh, thank you. This was uh, awesome. This is what I live for. I love talking about this stuff, and um, like I said, the goaltending position is a special special thing and uh it just helps you grow in so many different ways so to share a little bit of my my journey and my experiences is it's a real pleasure for me and i appreciate it all right well i'm looking forward to catching up with you we have an american hockey league team here now in town up in vancouver which means uh, i will see you as soon as next year in person 
And uh, geez, after this interview and talking to Valley earlier, I might have to come out to Connecticut this summer just to watch you guys train. That'd be great. Love to have you out. I absolutely love that interview. I love when guys dive deep into all the things they're doing. And you just got to realize that if you've got the dream of playing at that level, there's guys like Strauss Mann, Devin Levi, Thatcher Demko, you know, all the people we've spoken to on here who leave no stone unturned. That's what you're up against. Strauss Mann, thank you for being an in-goal listener and for knowing about the one more question, one more question, one more question, and still picking up the phone and sharing all of that with us. Uh, he knew he was in for a good 45 minutes to an hour, and Strauss hung in there for probably, what, an hour and 15, Woody? That was awesome. Hey, listen, and after we hung up, him and I talked for a good 40 minutes afterwards. He's what coming over to North America. Pro was asking questions about what guys are wearing, chest protectors, and and looking for some advice, and looking, you know, just not advice, but what am I seeing around the league in terms of trends and because that's all going to be new to him, right? Like we were talking earlier about gear getting approved by Kay Whitmore, like all his gear is now going to have to be approved. What's that process like? So just, I, I loved that interview. Uh, I was going to say we, me and him could have talked for another hour and we actually almost did, damn it. Um, and I'm not kidding, Hutch. We have to find a way to get to Connecticut uh, to just to be on the ice with him, Mike Valet, or sorry, Steve Valaket in the summer, this summer. Uh, the invitation's open, and I, I just figure watching those two run drills and then being able to talk through them after might be uh, might be the stuff that uh, ingoldmag.com segments are made of. I think we got to load up the uh, Ingold motorhome and just start crisscrossing North America for the summer. Yeah, not sure how that'll go over on the home front if I'm gone all summer, but she'd uh, probably be thrilled to have you out of there. You act like she'd be upset if you're away. I know the CFO would love the house to be empty. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right. You're probably right. A little less me is probably better for everyone. I don't know. We got an email this week asking what the travel schedule was for the summer. So I'm pretty sure she's just planning the parties. Listen, over at Ingle, we got uh, we got some more drills and we got some more stuff from our our good friend Pete Fry. Pete's, I really like Pete's article, Woody, this week. It's it's about when will I get my break? And there's so many goalies and parents around. You know, I've talked to them in the stands, just waiting for their opportunity. And they see other goalies having cool opportunities, whether it's being asked to play for the right team or winning a big tournament or getting drafted or, or whatever. And they wonder, when's that going to happen for me? And Pete talks about that this week in a way that uh, only he can. So really enjoyed that article and everything Pete does for us. Woody, I was wondering, like, was there a big break for you? <laughs> when my local, when the beer league team I currently play on um, didn't have a goaltender and invited me out and I managed to stick with them and 14 years later i'm i'm now traveling with them and they're some of my best friends that would be my big break was the other guy you probably earned it though right like you were ready for it it didn't just fall out of the sky no i think the other guy probably just uh you know couldn't play anymore because we're all getting old no of course i earned it hutch of course it didn't fall out of the sky you earn your breaks that's what he told us okay my break my you're my big break woody but i but i earned it because in goal was going for however long it was going and I got it up and running and I made it something appealing and then the phone rang and there's Woody and that was the big break because we wouldn't be here now if he hadn't given me a phone call so there's my big break but I think I had to make it for myself too uh, my big break was probably phoning you and joining in goal magazine oh Woody we, we should be hugging if we weren't on zoom 
I know, but Bro then Darren will, get, Darren, Darren will get jealous and he'll want to come back too soon and we want him there to rest up. There you go. There you go. What, what else we got going over at Ingle? Tell us more about the uh, drill series. Uh, Seamus Kotick's drill series with the Buffalo Sabres. Of course, he's the goalie development coach. He's got uh, Uko Pekka Lukanen, uh, another series of drills. And it's just a new variation on the five puck series. Just another good example, a chance to watch some short clips of an NHL goaltender in the league this year and bound to be there permanently in the near future. Um, going through some you know pretty basic skating movements. But again, just another example of how you can take that five puck principle that was introduced by Seamus to us and by goaltending coach legend Warren Strelo, may he rest in peace, to Sheamus when he was with the uh, San Jose Sharks as a young pro. And just, again, another example of how you can take something so simple and work it into movement, whether it's to, you know, as he said, dealer's choice for the goalies. If there's something they want to work on that they feel is deficient, you can do these movements on your skates. You can do these movements. You can go into your post in an RVH. Like, you can mix these up. And this is just another iteration of the five pucks, just working one side at a time. Find strength, whether it's working on your strengths or working on your weaknesses. Um, there are simple ways to do it. And this, you know, again, just another example. And, and to me, the best part of this series with Seamus is all these drills he's showing us, they are basic. But we're seeing an NHL bound goaltender. They use this every day, as whether it's part of their warm ups or work to get them faster and better with their movement. They use these things for at least three to four minutes a day. These, these different types of movement patterns. So right up to the National Hockey League. But it's also just as applicable for a 9 or 10-year-old uh, into junior, beer leaguer. Not that any of us ever get a chance to work on drills and practice, but if you do, this is a really good movement pattern series. Um, we've heard it so many times, whether it's Carey Price, Carter Hart, the best in the game, the best um, in the National Hockey League, the best in the world. Movement is everything. Crease movement patterns. I know all the young goalies, they want pucks, they want shots, they want dynamic drills that they've seen on Instagram with people flying all over the place. But the reality is your foundation is your movement. And just another great example from Seamus Kotick that you can watch. You can listen to Seamus talk over the video and explain some of the keys. Uh, and if you're an Ingle Magazine Premium Annual Subscriber, you can still go back right back to the first series, which had multiple drills in it, multiple variations, and watch all the way through to part four this week that came out. And also, don't forget, Pro Reads, Pro Reads went live this week. Another new one this week. I think we had Eric Comrie again this week. We've got more coming up. Uh, every Monday, we'll have a new Pro Reads up for you. So that's our weekly staple there. And we look to add to more of those in the week ahead. There you go. So uh, head over to ingoldmag.com. And if you're not a subscriber yet, uh, we'd love to have you join us over there. Or you could purchase one for the favorite goalie or coach in your life through the gift memberships. Uh, Woody, speaking of five pucks, it's a beautiful day outside. And outside that beautiful suburban home of yours, there's a five by five strip of lawn that isn't going to mow itself. So I think we'd better sign off here. Wishing everybody a uh, beautiful week and go out there and make your big break as we wish our good friend Darren Millard a healthy and speedy recovery. He's Woody. I'm Hutch. Thanks for joining us on the In Goal Radio podcast presented by the Hockey Shop, source for sports and thehockeyshop.com. <laughs>